Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today I have joining us Jim Koenig of RTI Control. Jim, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Jim, tell us about your current role at RTI Control and, and the company. Sure. I work for RTI Control. We're based out of Shakopee, Minnesota, and I'm responsible for more than, I guess, sales and then some for the Americas. So kind of the North Pole to the South Pole, but I lead our, our tech support department. I also work with our dealer experience team, which is really focused on you know sales engineering, customer service, those types of things, and uh, our newly formed inside sales team for customer service as well. Uh, but that's kind of encompassing. You know, product wise, uh, this is the best part. I, I love talking about what I do because I sell toys for a living. They're adult toys, uh, so to speak. And people are like, you sell adult, adult toys for a living? <laughs> and I, I usually say, well, we, we manufacture you know, automation control systems for home and business. And we all know that you don't have to have automation in your home. You know, it's a, it's a luxury item, so to speak, right? So, but you know, the, the, the internet of things has really driven price points down. It's something people can really enjoy at any price point these days. But you know, our, our focus is really on uh, luxury automation for homes, uh, let's say you got a 10,000 square foot house on the beach in, in Maui. You want to check on it from the States. You can do that. Uh, you want to automate a sports bar. You go into a great sports bar and you're like, hey, I've got this TV right here. I want to watch that game on this TV. We make all that switching equipment, the automation behind the scenes, the software, the touchscreens themselves. But, uh, you know, we do everything all the way down to something as simple as you've got a game room and you want to put a home theater in it. And you need a basic, you know, all-in-one learning remote. So we do everything from remote controls up to the automation equipment. Uh, but the majority of our business is selling, you know, whole home automation uh, and business automation. Yeah, that is very cool. I, I am a total tech geek, as you can probably imagine. And I love that kind of stuff. It always fascinates me, especially how it's evolved over the last 10 to 20 years. It's just amazing what that technology can do. It's a fun business. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thinking back over your career, Jim, what are the three things that have really driven your success? That's a great question. Uh, I guess, you know, eliminate to three, right? There's a lot of things that, that make you successful. But when I think back, you know, what are the, the core moments? And uh, I had a great mentor kind of midpoint in my career. And, and the one thing he really taught me was the value of what he would call the curbside prep. And it, it's, you know, showing up with a plan. It's amazing how many salespeople go to the street today. They don't have a plan. They haven't researched the customer. Uh, they don't know anything about them. They're not preparing correctly. Uh, they get very inefficient. That was something that I, I definitely uh, focused a lot on my career. You know, I get solicited every day, like everybody you know, else does. People try to sell me something. They don't know who I am, what I do, what my company does. And they expect 15 minutes of my life you know, to give them a meeting. And I look at these people and think like, they're either starving from no commission checks or they love the, the brutality of just being ignored or hung up on because if you're not prepared for these meetings, how do you expect to get the meeting to begin with? So that was ingrained in me, you know, very early on in the career, no matter who it is, if you think it's a layup, still spend the five minutes, do your research. You just may learn something that can actually help you in that sales transaction. And if you're assuming it's going to go well, sometimes it doesn't. So the more information you have, the better prepared you are, you know, for that meeting. Uh, the other big one is my boss taught me is he said, uh, Jimmy, how big is the rear view mirror in your car versus the windshield? 
He said, don't dwell on the past. He goes, there are things that are very fundamental. You need to look back upon and learn from, right? But don't dwell on that history. You're, you're, the windshield's so much bigger because you should be looking forward, not backwards. And that's really one of the things I think that really helps my career is you know, you're looking out past the horizon. Where am I today? Where am I tomorrow? Are the things that I'm doing today building my pipeline for the future? You know, everyone's sales cycles vary, right? They're short, they're long, whatever. Ours are very long. Uh, ours have a lot to do with you know, getting customers on board, training, and then you start selling, doing those things. But I could have a six to 18 month pipeline in my business. And if I'm not doing things today and my numbers are soft in 16, 18 months, I can really look back you know, pretty far and see what I didn't do. So part of this is really you know, setting yourself up for success in the future by making sure you're executing on the things you need to do today. So looking forward uh, is definitely a big one. And I'm afraid to even say this last one because it seems so obvious, but follow up. Just, I, I want to bang my head some days, even with my current sales team, some days like, did you follow up that customer? And it, it's something as simple as you get a text on a Saturday and it's like, hey, I'm having a problem, having an issue. Can you check in on this for me? And it's just a simple reply like, yes, I'll get to it first thing Monday. And then setting that Outlook reminder remind you because we all get busy, frankly, right? And then Monday morning pops up. There you are. I get on the phone, text support. Hey, I've got a customer who has an issue. Can you follow up with them? I send them a quick text back. You know, two text messages can save hundreds of thousands of dollars, but just even from basic sales meetings to weekend issues, there's so many people that just don't follow up. I mean, those, those have been the linchpins of what I've built my career upon. And my customers, I wouldn't say would follow me everywhere, but you build relationships that are lifelong. And I think that's one of the big differences in sales is not everyone can say that about their Rolodex. And that's, I think, what truly sets people apart in sales is, you know, how strong is that Rolodex? You know, when you get hired, that's part of why people are hiring you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And well, that's great. I love I love those answers. Those are fantastic. Um, and it always it doesn't surprise me, but it's it's reinforces for me the importance of mentorship because a lot of my guests talk about that and the impact it's had on their lives. And so um, that's something that uh, uh, I, I, I agree is so valuable. Have, are, you, are you doing anything to mentor on your side? You know, Definitely. To, yeah. Can I, you I talk prescribe, about that? I prescribe, uh, I won't say a lot of books, but there are some very core books that I think are very important. And, and it's a mix because a part of, uh, like when I look at my team, I look at what their skill sets are. And I think one of the most important things is when someone's really good at what they do, uh, I found some great articles on negativity. And you know, when someone comes to you and you really own your, your business unit or what you do, and someone comes in and starts poking around and making suggestions, you know, they're instantly in defense mode, like you can't do this, can't do that, it'll affect this, that. So I, I've worked with them on things that they might be perceived as negative on, and it's actually something different. Uh, it's about team skill sets, psychology, uh, those types of things I work with my team on, uh, but most importantly, it's raise your hand and something so simple that, you know, people get so busy. And I've actually, you know, after exit interviews of seeing other people leave organizations, um, usually that kind of guy calls and talks to them and I'll ask them and say, can you give me one bit of advice? What we have done differently, you know, as an outsider now looking back on this organization, what would you have done differently? And every one of those uh, people said, I would have asked for help because I got so bogged down in the day-to-day, -day, I became ineffective in my role. So I go to my team and say, when you have a question, you feel like you're overwhelmed, raise your hand. And it's the one simple thing that it, it's, a, it's not a call for help. It's not a sign of weakness. It's, 
hey, I've got a question or I need some help with this situation. And then all of a sudden you start peeling back the problems. What are the layers? Like, let me help you prioritize what you need to do. But something as simple as raising your hand and asking for help is something that I drill into my teams today. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer in that with my team. I, I call it spinning my spinning your wheels. I'm like, as soon as you start to sense your wheels are spinning, That's raise it. your hand, ask for some help, and let's see what we can do to start getting that traction again. Um, because it's, I, I can't stand to hear like, oh, I've been working on this problem for three days on their own, where if they would have asked for help, they, we probably could have got it solved in a couple of hours, you know? So Bingo. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. How'd you get your start in sales? I grew up in a family security business and ironically, I was this like introverted kid and I was just afraid of people. We didn't really travel outside uh, of the Ohio area. And I think as I started uh, growing up in the career and started looking at, you know, just getting out and started broadening my horizons and my dad and I kind of parted uh, ways back in the day. He wanted to stay in security and I wanted to go down this path of audio, video and automation. And we kind of went our separate ways. And, and as I had escalating roles you know, as a manufacturer's rep, I worked for a dealer. And the more I got out and, and saw people and talked to people, I really started to enjoy it. And that's actually what started driving me in there uh, when I was a manufacturer's rep, seeing people buy my product and then watching them enjoy that. Uh, you know, there were good products and bad products, of course. But, you know, when you look at the overall win and you see companies become successful selling your products. I enjoyed that. And that drove me further and further and further. And then it became, you know, dealing with people, teams. Ugh. You, you, you kind of think back to college, like, oh, man, these group exercises are going to kill me. And then you start to figure out, like, I can actually affect this. If, if I'm in the right position, I know how to work with people, bring people around, get the, get the thinking changed. Those things drove me. So getting into sales was really just kind of sitting back, watching and learning, and then saw really, I think it was kind of rebellion maybe to, from not traveling or not doing certain things as a kid, but I've uh, just kind of become an extrovert in the process of, you know, growing up as an introvert. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it is. That is. It's funny how many salespeople I talk to that describes themselves as introverts. Um, I think most people <laughs> expect them to be extroverts, but I think, you know, that's not the case always. So right. Well, for Friday, 5 p.m., I turn into an introvert because uh, you've made <laughs> decisions all week, right? You've done all those things. You're kind of like, I could, I could just enjoy a bourbon and be an introvert for a little bit right about now. There you go. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, what do you, would you have been able, you know, if you could go back in time and talk to young Jim, just getting started in sales, what would you tell young Jim? Study up on people. I mean, everything surrounds people, right? But it, it, it seems kind of counterintuitive. Like, but I think about psychology of people. I've read some great books recently uh, that have been out. And just understanding how people think is really one of the big ones. You know, there's different personality types. What gets somebody engaged, right? What are the questions I should have been asking? In my early days, of course, I started out doing the whole pitch thing, right? Like I'm pitching, I'm telling, not selling. You know, the classic analogies you hear in the sales side of the world. But I really wish I could have gone back and said, study more of. I said, you see one of the sales guys here, he's highfalutin. He just seems like he's always loose, running off the rails and talking to customers, buying them ballgame tickets. And what I started to learn is people buy from people. And had I learned that early on, but how to read people, understand people, and then figure out like if they're throwing trail signs off, like, okay, don't go down this path, right? And there were other people that you know, love numbers, like, you know, seven out of 10 dentists recommend or something. There's people love statistics. Other people hate statistics. All those kind of people element things. I really wish I would have fast track through those because a lot of sales were trial and error. 
And I was always good at kind of doing that post-mortem, assess it, you know, regroup, revisit, try it again. But you need a lot of sales and a lot of years to figure out what's working, what's not to really, you know, kind of focus on. And I really wish I would have taught myself that early on or had a mentor in my early years that would have turned me down that path um, and kind of, you know, how to find the person's why by moment. I think, you know, today there's, there's obviously great ways, right? Audiobooks are here, podcasts like this, right? There's so much more content these days than there were 20 some years ago. I think it's a little bit easier today to understand it. There's great books out there, but at the end of the day, if you really truly don't understand people, it's, it's really tough to be in, in sales unless you just have this killer product that, you know, people are lining up to buy every single day. Oh yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. What drives you crazy when someone is selling to you? <laughs> I've got someone on LinkedIn. This is great. I have someone on LinkedIn and I appreciate her, uh, her persistence. Uh, she must have sent me 30 messages and I'm actually trying to coach her on my replies back. But it's, would you give me 15 minutes of your time so I can pitch you on you know, XYZ software for your company? So I started with the typical pushback. I already have it. It's covered. We're doing it. You know, you don't, you don't understand my sales cycle, which I'm sure they probably drives people nuts too, but uh, it, it's, it's my persistence and pushback, but I'm looking at this saying, I'm giving you the information you need. And they're probably looking at me like I'm a jerk or something, but I'm also trying to mentor this younger salesperson who's based on the photo I'm seeing. And it's like, read what I'm saying. It's do some research on my company. Spe you, you want me to give you 15 minutes? How about trade? You spend 15 minutes learning about me, my company, and what potentially my pain points are in my industry, and then give me a call. And guess what? I'll give you 15 minutes first thing in the morning, right? I will give you that time and make sure you have it. So that's what drives me nuts is they just expect you to give them 15 minutes. And just based on the number of pings I get off every day, it's like I would get nothing done because I'd spend my entire day just dealing with people uh, mm -hmm. when it comes down to it. Just, yeah, but that, that drives me nuts. They do no research and expect me, oh, 15 minutes is no big deal. It's like, you want to bet? <laughs> oh yeah. I had a call today that blew my mind. I'm, I'm in a meeting, my cell phone rings and I answer it. If, even if I don't recognize the number in case it is a customer or, you know, someone at one of my clients, I, I want to be responsive. And it's this guy like, Hey, Chris, how you doing? This is, you know, I'm Jim and blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, you know, you don't know me, but let me tell you what I do. And immediately didn't ask me any questions Didn't ask, Hey, do you have time? Is now a good time to talk? Nothing just immediately launched into his pitch. And I'm it, like, you are so out of touch, dude. You're so out of touch. I gotta go. We'll see you. You know, exactly. it, it, it's crazy. Um, what's the craziest thing from your think back to those days in, in early days in sales, craziest story you can share with us. Oh, wow. Uh, I've met some great people in sales, uh, amazing people. And you look at them and say, you know, this is the, I guess the old, like I could, that person could sell ketchup popsicles to an Eskimo type thing like you hear in, in Tommy boy, but uh, actually came across someone who was so good at sales that they kind of reinvented themselves into fun. Instead of channeling the sales energy, going out, mastering the customer side of, of what their role was, they looked at their comp plan and said, you know what, there's more money to be made in sales than just selling the product. And instead of kind of following that path, you know, they, they kind of crossed the line where it was, I want to make money on this transaction everywhere I possibly could. And it was, once I heard the full story and saw why this person was no longer with the company, I was just blown away. It was, it was things that you wouldn't even fathom and think about. But sales, there's a lot of power. You're in control of a lot of things. You could influence a lot of people in an organization. 
And I was just blown away of the things I, I would never even a million years think about doing. You know, it's like, how do we make my number at the end of the month? Well, it's like, well, let's just ship this person. And when they call, like, I didn't order this. It's like, oh, I'll have a call tag issue. Then you move to someone else. And it, it became such a spider web. It's crazy to think that people go through so much effort, right, to cover the trail, cover all those things, as opposed to let's go find another customer to sell to instead of trying to take advantage of a situation you're put in place. And even to this day, it's, it still blows me away. Like the creativity, like how can someone be so creative and so skilled, but yet look at that and not take it and do it to the top level, right? Like start a business, become a sales trainer, like take that energy and channel that into something positive versus making it selfish and kind of, you know, all about me. That's wild. That's really wild. Making the leap to sales leadership from salesperson can be a, a big one for a lot of people. What was behind your decision to make that leap? It's a great question. I had a buddy uh, tell me, he's just like, you know, Jim, you don't know how to be a sales director until you're a sales director. You, know, you don't know how to be a VP and, until you are a VP. So that there's a scary factor, right? It's that first day of high school. Uh, they, your parents warn you about all these different things that would happen. They never came true, but you're like, okay, all these things are, are coming at you. And it was scary. And one of the things that I watched over a couple of years and I, and I passed on opportunities because I was afraid, but what I started to do was watch why are people failing that make the transition? And that was something I was like, all right, I don't want to fail. I'll watch other people do this first and then I'll kind of figure it out. But one of the things that, that I kind of saw a lot of people is top performers, right? A lot of companies, you've been at the business for many years. They look at their top performer and say, Hey, it's your turn. We're tapping you on the shoulder. You're the best performer we have. We're going to put you into sales management. And they fail. And it's not because they're bad salespeople. It's just what, what I learned over that is when I was in sales by myself and in charge of a region, it was all about working on myself. It was about my skills, my career, developing myself. And the transition to sales management is, it's not that you don't keep working on your skills, is you have to work with everybody else's skills. You're to develop your sales team. You have to turn into the leader that takes you know, if you have 10 people, you have a hundred personalities, right? It's getting those people to understand the path, right? Leading them, getting them to understand, but also respecting that you can hand somebody a script in, in certain parts and it just might not work for them. It's not their natural tone. And it's understanding how many different personalities you have making that transition. It was something I watched from the outside for a couple of years uh, before I actually had the opportunity to, to cross over again. And that was the one thing that gave me the confidence when I did transition was like, okay, I know how not to mess this up, so to speak, right? I had a lot of pride in my work and, and things that I did, but knowing this going in, that's what I really did. So I, I you know, studied up, read books, got educated and those types of things. When the opportunity came across, uh, I jumped at it wholeheartedly because I felt confident that I could go in and help people. And then, you know, I, that may sound easy, but there's still challenges, you know, as you go through that sales leadership process. Uh, but that was kind of one of the big things that uh, helped me with that transition and, and why I made that jump. What were some of those challenges that you encountered? Uh, challenge, boy, there's a the whole list of those things. Uh, you know, the people element, just organization. I think the biggest challenge I have in working with people is organization. No two people organize themselves the same. You know, some people, you see them going to a meeting, pen, paper analog, right? Which I don't fault them for, but it's like, you're going to put that in the CRM later this afternoon, right? Kind of thing. Uh, other people, it's like, well, I use Outlook, you know, my inbox for all my uh, information. When it's clear, I'm done for the day, right? And one of the things I've come to, to understand about people is everyone has different styles. And my job isn't to tell them what their style should be. 
it, my job is really in my role is to make sure that they're the way they need to organize matches the way I'm leading and what the company's goals are. So some people it's set them outlook reminders that pop up all the time to remind them what they're doing, right? Some people hate meetings, some hate emails. So it's, it's finding that middle ground for organization that really gets people kind of interacting and doing things. You know, it's, it's also the, you know, there is a little ego in sales, go figure, right? And it's how do you battle when you have competing regions or competing salespeople? It's how do you address the situation? Because you'll have flare-ups on team calls, right? How do you tamp those down without damaging egos and saving face? But, you know, getting people organized and then just managing the sales ego is probably the two biggest challenges that I face in sales leadership because they're just, they're, there's just a lot of, hey, we're all, we're all striving to be the best. Uh, there's a lot of attitude in there as well. And it's how do you channel the energy instead of at each other and forward? And those are two things that just really, uh, I think, are probably the biggest battles that I face on a daily basis. What's the first thing a person stepping into a sales leadership role at a new company do? I, I know the first thing uh, that I did was read like the first 90, first 120 days. So great reading, a, great, a lot of great books out there. And, you know, for me it was don't get too technical, right? Like don't, don't go in and learn the products right away. It's like, don't go in there and just, you know, open, open every product man. You think like, Hey, the people won't respect me if I don't know the products, you know, if you're hired in a leadership type of capacity, you're responsible for a much bigger picture. And part of it is how do you become effective in that role? Right. And some of that is really looking at every organization will probably have some, some differences in there. Uh, but, but coming in, it's, understanding the people, what their needs are, hearing the people, right? What are the challenges in front of people? What can you affect in your new role? And for me, I always talk about like, you know, first downs, like moving the you know, goalposts and the markers down the field is how do I get quick wins with everyone to build their confidence in me and what I'm capable of doing within the organization. But, at, you know, as we all know, there's culture, uh, you fight, there's silos within organizations, all those things. So part of it is really, you know, coming in, you know, educate yourself, keep a log every day, write down your notes, you know, set a schedule, don't, don't let, you know, kind of the company rule you in different directions. You do have missions that you have to accomplish in your first 30, 60, 90 days, and you have to stick to that plan no matter what. It's going to be long, brutal hours. You have a lot to learn within the organization, and you need to set a plan and execute. Uh, but it's, a, you know, it's winning the people over because ultimately your success or failure uh, depends on whether or not really those people, you know, are, are for you or against you, really. Uh, and I've seen both sides of that flip coin where, you know, if you get promoted and your, your buddy didn't, that is going to be one of the toughest relationships to work with on the side by side is, you know, now you're leading that person and, you know, he's probably seeing you at the bar do something stupid uh, at the end of the day. Now he has to respect you as the sales leader, but, you know, winning the people and, and getting them to understand what the, the mission is, I think is critical. I think you're only good as a team, as a leader. And building that successful team is probably your number one responsibility. What is your strategy for building your team? It, it's getting them to understand the end goal, right? And part of it, well, I say it starts with the end goal, but it has to be, you know, people want to be part of something, right? So ultimately, well, you have, obviously there's different people in an organization, but you know, if you're looking at the sales side of the organization, there's an innate human nature that people want to be associated with something, right? And usually my, my first story I start out with my teams is I usually put two pictures on the screen and, and it's probably like that for about an hour. It's a picture of little league soccer kids and they're all surrounding a soccer ball. And there's a picture of a world cup team. And I said, there's two ways to go to business. We can all chase the ball and kick each other in the shin 
or we can be strategic and play position. And, you know, the, 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 you know, forward kicks the ball correctly. Right. And it, you don't kick it to where the person is. You kick it to where they're going to be. I said, and the same can be said about any professional sports that achieves world cup, super bowl, whatever it is, they're firing on all cylinders. And I look at the team and say, our job really overall is to fire on all cylinders. So let's develop a plan that gets us firing on all those cylinders so we can get this thing down the street, down the field, you know, win the, win the big game because the people want to be part of something. They want to have buy-in, right? They want to feel like my contributions matter. No one likes to be told, just go do it because I said so. I mean, this, this starts in kindergarten, right, with, with human nature. So it's also treating the adults like they should be, but making sure they understand clearly what the plan is, what the goals are, what is my role, right? And what's in it for me, so to speak. And, and I think a lot of leaders are blind. It's looking at that and saying, well, you know, that may sound selfish in sales, but salespeople want commission dollars. So I always strive to make sure my teams are well-paid. Uh, we address our commission concerns because at the end of the day, these people are in sales to make money and they're, they're really, you know, that that's, that's, that's a reward for doing everything correctly, but you've got to check all the boxes with them and make sure they're part of something. Uh, if you treat them like they're on an Island, your, your results will match that. Yeah. What do you look for, uh, for the people you're cultivating for leadership? Talent. Uh, it's like that interview question is talent born or bred. Right. And, and I love this question when you get that in an interview, because uh, you know, people obviously have different paths, but you need some diversity uh, today in management. You're going to deal with a, a wide variety, Gen Z, millennials, baby boomers, potentially you are going to I think we're in the greatest uh, you know, generation mix right now in terms of cultures, attitudes, beliefs. Uh, it's a challenge. And I think, again, the people element comes back full circle for me. If I have someone who's really struggles with working with people, I think their management path is really going to be challenged. Uh, it's an HR world, as we all know. It's a politically correct world, as we all know. And if you're going to be in a professional type of position and do these types of things, it's really, really important that people have strong people skills and a very diverse set of skills because I guess they don't have to be global world travelers, but if you don't even understand basic religions and philosophies and things like that, uh, it, it's real easy to faux pas in this day and age as we've recently seen on the news. So I think that's one of the first skill sets I look at is how diverse is their, their horizon? What, what, what's their experience look like? What are their skills? Do they match up with that type of thing to kind of look at them uh, you know, from a management perspective? That's what they need. And then how do they interact with customers, right? Are they abrupt? Uh, you know, if you're, I guess, you know, in the New England region, you probably need a little more backbone than somebody probably in, you know, San Diego, California, uh, different cultures. So how flexible are they? Can they adapt to their surroundings based on the, you know, customer type? Can they wear flip-flops in San Diego? And can they put their boots on in, in New York, so to speak? So those are things that, that I look at as a fundamental, you know, part of their skill set that they really need to take. And then it's about, I think, uh, for management risk. What's their tolerance for risk? Are they willing to push the envelope? You know, if I come to them and say, hey, your quota is X this year and you thought it was going to be Y, all right, where are you going to find those extra dollars? If, you know, one of the questions I ask in my interviews is name a customer that you've been asked to leave, not hung up on, like physically face-to-face, -face, you've been asked to leave. And if I ever get somebody who says, I've never had that happen, my first comment back to them is I say, you're probably not going to be the right guy for this job or gal for this job because you haven't found the edge. Right. I always tell my guys, you have a bowling lane. Think about bumper bowling. I'm the bumpers. You've got the whole lane left to right. You'll move around, go do things. I've given you a tool bag, your hip pockets full of good items. Go find business, right? Go, go be creative. 
And if you're not pushing the envelope of getting tossed out at some point, because I promise you, anyone that's been thrown out of a customer meeting, it, 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 they'll tell you the date, the time, the temperature, what they're wearing, who the cut, they know it's ingrained, it's tattooed in their head, right? right? And guess what they do? Nothing succeeds like failure. And they take that moment, a good salesperson takes that moment, channels it, refocuses it, and it drives their career. And like I said, a lot of people, when I'm, when I'm interviewing, I, I tell them flat out, you, you probably won't get this position at this point, just simply because of that. And then I explain it to them. And I, and I tell them, you need, if you're going to be in sales and you don't want to be an account manager, you want to be in sales, that's the difference between an account manager and a salesperson. So I was like, you, you have to define that for people too. But yeah, that's really, uh, that's the big one for me when I look for people going into either sales and or management is you have to have those skill sets behind you because if you don't, then you really can't relate to, you know, the next person they're going to hire. Oh yeah, that's great. CRM, do you love it or do you hate it? I love a customized CRM. Uh, I, I think about, you know, I walk into the, the clothing store and I'm going to buy a suit, right? Like who buys an off the rack suit and walks out the door, right? You know, I want a place that has a good tailor. Like I look at a suit shop is only as good as the tailor at the end of the day. So if you're going to have a CRM and you're not spending the money to have somebody come in and customize it for your organization, it's like wearing an off the rack suit. It will work. You will look sloppy, but it will work. So CRM is something that, uh, especially now, let, let's talk, you know, decentralized uh, offices, right? You know, even before COVID, so many companies were siloed, right? You know, they had all these channels and they were in the office and they, they still won't walk by somebody to go have a conversation. They'll send them an email. So the silos existed. And there's so many people now that are responsible for the customer, customer service, right? All the aspects of the customer and whether you're in product or service type uh, industries, there's so many people. And now that we're remote, the CRM is absolute, you know, it's like, how do you not have one? so to speak, right? You can't be in a customer facing business today with decentralized offices without a solid CRM. And you have to invest in it. You have to bring someone in. You've got to customize your software and it needs to work for you. And if you make it confusing, you don't invest the time and money, the satisfaction, the use case just obviously goes, goes net negative. I was on a call last night late with uh, my boss and we're going over ours last night. We're making changes to fields within it that are now pertinent, a uh, slight change in business model and the way we work with our customers, but we're sitting there making customizations within. And these are things that businesses do. You know, most people approach their IT department. They're like, oh, you want a feature change? It's going to be 12, 14 months. It should be 12 or 14 minutes. Like this should be your priority. This is where your sales pipeline comes from. This is how you interact. This is where everything about a customer is located. And if somebody calls up with an RMA question, issue, product replacement, that thing is now the Bible. It is where you go to get your information and it should be top priority. And the, and the companies that struggle with it and anyone I talk to that hates their CRM, it's the last thing on the list, not the first thing on the list that gets work done in the company. And that, that's really what it is. So it's, it's spend the money, invest the time, customize it. But you, know, you take one step further. I usually tell people or ask questions about process. You know, a lot of people are really not good at process. Right. If you have bad processes, Odds are your CRM is probably going to look like your processes, kind of like that suit, kind of sloppy, right? The tie is not going to match. You need to have good process first in order to create a good CRM. And companies that don't focus on the process side, they'll struggle with their CRMs. But if you nail those two things, people always like, ah, oh, it's, it's too much effort to take my pen and paper and convert it into electronics and all this kind of stuff. And I challenge them all and say, if it's done right, you will absolutely love your life. It will it'll actually set you free. It's like, you want that beach vacation where someone's calling you going, hey, what, where did you leave this with Mr. Smith last week? It's like, it's in the CRM. 
right? That's what allows, you know, people is, I want this work-life balance. Well, good. Get a great CRM, put your notes in there and guess what? Go have your work-life balance at the end of the day. Quit fighting it, right? But I think too many companies miss the fact that they need to spend the money and prioritize their CRM to make it work for them. Right, right. Oh man, I just, I'm nodding my head for those of you watching, <laughs> listening, you probably can't see that, but I, everything you said is just spot on. Uh, couldn't agree more, Jim. Yep. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to companies where they're like, hey, we, we need you to, we need a new CRM. And I start asking why, what are you using today? I'm like, oh, we have it, it just, it sucks, it doesn't work. And when you find out why, it's because, like you said, they don't have a good process and they think, oh, we'll get new technology because that will fix all our problems. No, there's not a technology platform out there that can fix bad process. You have to nail down your process first. And then how can we leverage this tool to best support our process? That's what it's about. Um, yeah. so, Simple no. things. Yeah. It really is. You know, when I look at uh, companies who hire people and put them into, into roles, Right, those people tend to dogpile, pick up more responsibilities, and this is some uh, John John Maxwell readings. But it's basically you create positions and put people in them. So if you don't even document from an HR level what a person's responsibility is, that's going to lead right back to bad CRM also because who's responsible for what? You know, who's on first, second, third? That's why I give my team kind of the World Cup analogy. It's you, you want to be strategic. You play position. You play what your role is in the company. So it even starts with job descriptions at an HR level. If you can't do that, you can't define a process. Like I said, your CRM is just going to look just like that. Yeah, it, it totally is. And, and your data is going to be deficient. Your data is not supporting the process. CRM is not supporting the process. People aren't using CRM. It's not really driving anything. But and, frustration. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's your biggest struggle with CRM? Uh, biggest struggle with CRM. I want more in it uh, at the end of the day. And like we just uh, ran a report looking back at legacy customers who, you know, kind of, you know, moved on, right? Some of that attrition. And it's, I wish all that data was in there. So some of the stuff that we're doing today is new versus old. So migration uh, is probably the biggest, you know, frustration I've dealt with over the years with CRM is, you know, most people have graduated some type of system. It's how do I get the old information into the new system and update it? Because it's gold. You know, you're sitting on a gold mine of, of information. It's getting the old to new. And that tends to, you know, that, that can fall down the list sometimes as well. Uh, and that's why we put an inside sales team in places. We've empowered them to basically take our old information, bring it to the new system, update the information along the way. That's another missing facet. A lot of companies won't invest in. I've been there before where companies like, we're not going to invest in that, figure a way to get it. And I can tell you at the end of a long day for your salespeople, the last thing they're doing is like, well, I'm not going to work on the dead leads. So they think, right. right. Uh, they're going, th those are just, you know, customers that left us for whatever reason, I'm not even going to go there. And instead it's, well, your products have changed, your company's changed, everything evolves. Their needs probably change. They probably need your product again, but the fact they haven't heard from you in two years because they're not in your CRM, there it is, right? So that, that whole transition from one to another, there's such a gap there. And I've dealt with that uh, far too many times. It is a challenge, but thankfully, you know, um, I'm working with a great boss now who sees that, has invested in the business, and we brought people on board to, to bridge those two gaps. And then literally my call this morning was working with the guys to say, hey, you know, here's 1,500 customers we'd like to reach out to and you know, have a conversation with. And that's just yeah. money waiting to come back. Exactly. And, and that's one of the things I use to to gauge the state of a CRM is I'll ask like, can you provide a list of who are your current customers? 
we're your customers that, you know, previous prior companies that left in the last 12 months or left two years ago, put some time constraints on that. If they can't answer those questions, that tells me a lot about the state of their CRM. That it does. Yeah. Well, we are at our time here on Sales Lead Dog. Jim, it's been great talking to you. If people want to reach out and connect with you, uh, maybe learn more about you, learn more about RTI, what's the best way for that to happen? Sure. It's been a great time, Chris. Appreciate it for sure. Uh, reach out to me at jimk at rticorp.com is my email. Uh, you can check out rticorp.com or rticontrol.com. Uh, either one of those, we're actually doing a, a rebranding there as we're, we're speaking. So either place they can reach out. Uh, personally, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com forward slash I go by James officially. It's my my mother's uh, you know given name, but uh, everyone calls me Jim on the street. But James hyphen Koenig on LinkedIn, you'll find me there, and uh, happy to link up and uh, happy to share. I actually uh, uh, have a moment called WWJD. What would Jim do? And a lot of people I've worked with in the past will call me and go, "I have a WWJD moment. I'd love to run by you." So always happy to help mentor others and bring them into sales and help make them successful. No, that's great. That's great. And that we'll have all that in our show notes if you didn't capture that. So be sure to check that out online. And again, Jim, thanks for coming on Sales Lead Dog. Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for your time. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube, and you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales lead dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.